Cheerscast is part of the Fire and Water Network. You know, Coach, every night you walk out of here and you forget your keys. You got them this It's time? okay, Carla. I got it all figured out. I left them in the car. <laughs> Aren't you afraid someone's going to steal it? I locked the doors. Well, how are you going to get out of your keys? I made a duplicate set. Well, where are they, Coach? Holy mackerel. <laughs> Carla, we really got to make a scramble. Looks like rain. Come on, I left the windows open. <laughs> Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Hello and welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm Ryan Daly, all by myself this time because we are not reviewing an episode of Cheers. Instead, this is another installment of Cliffy's Mailbag, where I respond to some of the feedback we received on the Fire and Water website for episodes 201 to 212, the first half of season 2. But before I get into your comments, there are a few house cleaning items I want to address. The first is a very big, very sincere thank you to friend of the network, Little Russell Burbage. A couple of months ago, Russell sent me a copy of Entertainment Weekly, cover dated way back in May 14th, 1993. As you can imagine, the cover story is the Cheers finale. It's got a very severe looking black and white cover photo of the cast. I've started skimming the article, and I'm going to do a deeper dive into it, but it's definitely something that will be more relevant as we get toward the end of the series some years down the road. But anyway, seriously, huge thanks to Russell for, first of all, acquiring and or holding onto this 26-year-old magazine, and then sending it to me. It's very, very cool, and thank you so much. Alright, moving on. I want to address something that came up on the last episode, which is the order of Cheers episodes for Season 2 that differs from when they were first broadcast on NBC to how they are arranged on the DVD or streaming services. Last week, when I covered Episode 12, Where There's a Will, if you're following Cheers on Netflix or iTunes, you probably asked, what about the episode Snow Job? And that's going to come later in the season, because it wasn't broadcast before Where There's a Will, even though I think it was probably supposed to be. At the time I recorded the last episode with Rick Heineken, I wasn't sure why this occurred, but now I think I may have figured it out. If you go back to the beginning of this season, episode 1 dropped on September 29th, 1983. Where There's a Will dropped on December 22nd, just before Christmas, and it is clearly meant to be the Christmas episode, so that one had to be the last episode of 1983. From September 29th, there were 13 weeks, 13 Thursdays, leading up to Christmas, 
so there should have been room to slot Snowjob in between Just Three Friends and Where There's a Will, if that's what it was supposed to be. However, if you recall, Episode 2 did not drop on October 6th, the week after Episode 1. It came out on October 13th. For some reason, and I didn't research this far, the show was preempted that second week, so there were only 12 Thursdays that Cheers could have aired between their season premiere and Christmas, so one episode had to get pulled out of order and moved to a later date. I don't know why Snowjob wasn't the first episode of 1984 when they came back from break. Maybe the network or somebody higher up thought that Battle of the X's was a better way to hook new viewers, but at least I know why it wasn't in the 1983 slot now. Uh, so yeah, mystery partially solved, if anyone besides me cares. Uh, yeah, and then there's just one other thing that I want to bring up, which is going to the actual Cheers bar in Boston last summer. But I am going to wait until the end of this episode for that. So, without further ado, let's get into the comments for Season 2 left on the Fire & Water website. That is fireandwaterpodcast.com. Just like the previous mailbag segments, I am not going to read every comment from every episode, but I will try to mention everyone who said something and kind of give a give a representation of everybody who participates in this, because that's important. So, episode one, Power Play with my guest Al Sedano, received comments from Siskoid, Steve Rogers, Rob Kelly, Ashford Wright, Tim Price, and Paul Wildenberger. Steve Rogers provided some very cool insight into the pictures, the old-timey photos used during the show's opening credits. Steve said, Many of the bar photos come from the archives of a bar in Bloomington, Indiana, called the Irish Lion. And he actually provided a link to the establishment's website. The idea, Steve continues, was originally going to be gatherings throughout the millennia, cavemen to present day, but with the treasure trove they found, I guess they stuck with the history of Cheers. My guess, because it shows banquet hall scenes, there was a time where Melville's was Cheers and downstairs became a speakeasy in Prohibition era. Restaurant upstairs gets broken off and Sam buys the bar sometime in the 1970s. Anyway, the final frame? Kind of funny that Al thought it was underage drinkers. One of those guys is the two-time Boston mayor, 1906-1908 and 1910-1914, as well as a two-time Massachusetts congressman, John Francis Honey Fritz, to his friends, Fitzgerald. You might not know him, but you should know at least one of his grandsons, at least the one that shared his first name and had Fitzgerald as a middle name. Well... Of course, by that, Steve is obviously talking about former President of the United States, John Fitzgerald Obama. Wow, I, and that's just, all of that information is just really fascinating stuff. I like that. Thank you so much for that info uh, and that, the collection of art and photos from the bar. That's, that's really, really cool. Uh, episode 2, Little Sister Don't Show, with my guest Tim Price, received comments from Siskoid, Chris Franklin, Rob Kelly, Jeff R., and Neil Daly. Chris Franklin said, A fine sitcom tradition of series actresses putting on wigs and playing relatives with startlingly different personalities. See both Bewitched and I Dream of Jeannie. And Rob Kelly said, I'm sure for ratings it made more sense to keep writing Sam and Diane stories, but it's also probably a bit of a cushion to know you have other members of the cast that can carry an episode in case the leads leave to do a movie or get sick or want to renegotiate their contracts, etc. Yeah, yeah, very good point. 
Uh, episode three, personal business with my guest Gene Hendricks, received comments from Chuck Coletta, Siskoid, Chris Franklin, and Tim Price. Chuck Coletta said he was surprised that Shelley Long wasn't my guest. And that was because Rob Kelly had just the day before featured Loretta Swit on his MASHcast show. You know, maybe somewhere down the line I'll be bold enough or foolish enough to reach out to the cast members and ask them, but I'm not there yet. Uh, episode 4, Homicidal Ham with Siskoid, received comments from just Tim Price? I mean, I love Tim, but God, it's such a great episode. Where were the rest of you guys? Anyway, episode 5, Sumner's Return with John Trumbull, received comments from Rob Kelly, Siskoid, Paul Wildenberger, Ward Hill Terry, Tim Price, and Neil Daly. Now that's more like it. Siskoid said, On the way Coach's humor is constructed and delivered, I was watching a Burns and Allen movie this week, A Damsel in Distress with Fred Astaire, and Gracie's jokes are just like that. Her persona is dim, but in her case, almost willfully obtuse, and will always misunderstand or literalize a turn of phrase for comic effect. Was Gracie Coach's mom? Hashtag headcanon. Uh, this fan theory was wildly embraced by the other people in the comments thread. Uh, Paul Wildenberger said, I cannot express how much I love this coach as Gracie Allen's illegitimate son idea. I say illegitimate because Nicholas Calasanto was born in 1924 and Gracie didn't marry George Burns until 1926. Yeah, that's, that's kind of fascinating to think about. I love that. Uh, just another sort of world to, inter, to, to incorporate into the Cheers universe. Uh, episode 6, Affairs of the Heart, with Gene Hendricks, received comments from Gene, as well as Siskoid, Rob Kelly, Paul Wildenberger, Tim Price, and Michael Ridge. Rob said, I am not into prequels, either in movies or TV, but man, I think a Cheers prequel series set in Coach and Sam's baseball days could be a lot of fun. All of that 60s and 70s period flavor, etc. I uh, Yeah, I'm generally against that type of situation, but... It could be really funny, too, so maybe, maybe. It, it all depends on how it was handled and who they got involved, but yeah. Uh, episode 7, Old Flames, with my guest Rick Heineken, received comments from Tim Price and... No, just Timmy. What is with you guys not leaving comments on the best episodes? Uh, Tim said, geez, you guys did almost too good a job covering this episode. I really have nothing to add. I mean, okay, if that is the case, then I'm going to have to start lowering my game when I record these shows. Uh, episode 8, Manager Coach with Tim Price received comments from Rob Kelly, Neil Daly, Devin Clancy, Chris Franklin, Rick Heineken, Mike Zumo, Brian Linton, Ward Hill Terry, and Tim Price. And almost all of them took me to task or said I was dead wrong for suggesting that the breastfeeding joke seemed outdated or uncomfortable by today's standards. Uh, in fact, the consensus seemed to be that the bit was extremely funny and progressive, even. Devin Clancy said, after 30 or so episodes of Cheerscast, it might be nice to stipulate that the Cheers creators have both good intentions and the ability to deal with complex issues with nuance and subtlety. When they show a character displaying negative behavior, it's in the service of the plot and the jokes, never to make the person into some sort of role model. The best part of the show is that every character, including Coach after this episode, has both good and bad sides, and the creators and cast can successfully explore with the bad side and still make them likable. Yeah, I mean, that sentiment is echoed by Rob, my brother Neil, and several other people, so I am willing to concede that I am just wrong in this case. Uh, I see the argument that you guys were making, and yeah, I think it was just 
I didn't get the joke or, or I didn't get the angle that the writers were going for at the time. So yeah, uh, you guys convinced me. Uh, also, Mike Zumo and Rob Kelly helped me understand why baseball managers wear the player's uniform and the whole history behind that. So this was a very educational episode for me. Thank you. Thank you for the listener feedback for this one. I learned a lot from you guys. Uh, episode 9, They Called Me Mayday with my guest Robert Land, received comments from Neil Daly, Marlene Stem, and Tim Price. Neil said, I blame Diane for foolishly convincing me as a child that it's okay to approach your idols and read them your poetry. Like that time I met Michael Jordan at the Ritz-Carlton Marina Del Rey lobby. Ah, yeah, that's that's a story for another podcast. Uh, Marlene pointed, or rather corrected us, on the number of Cheers episodes directed by people other than James Burroughs. In season 8, she said Andy Ackerman directed a run of episodes, and he directed a few in other seasons as well. John Ratzenberger and George Went each directed at least one episode, too. Uh, well, thank you, Marlene, for woman-splaining that. Sorry, that awful joke. Uh, but yeah, I, I, you're correct. I looked it up, and Andy Ackerman directed as many as 18 episodes, according to IMDb. Um, I thought Burroughs directed all but five to ten episodes, but it looked like it's at least double that. So, uh, And I'm sure I will make a much bigger note of that when we get to the episodes that didn't have him. Uh, moving on now, episode 10, How Do I Love Thee? Let Me Call You Back with Rob Kelly. Got a comment from Tim Price who said, The writers were on fire this episode, and the cast delivered expertly. You guys mentioned so many of the great lines, but I have to give a call out to this one. Hey, you're drunk. Hey, you're stupid. I'll be sober in the morning. Uh, one of the single best put-downs in history. Funny you mentioned history. Diane is actually cribbing Winston Churchill on that line. Uh, he sort of famously, I think, he called a woman ugly and said, I may be drunk, but you're ugly, and I will at least be sober in the morning, or, or something like that. Uh, episode 11, Just Three Friends, with Al Sedano and John Trumbull, got comments from Chris Franklin, Brian Linton, Rob Kelly, Al Sedano, and Tim Price. Chris said, add me to the list of those who had Marky Post as an early crush. Her night court outfits may have been buttoned down a bit, but those skirts with the slit in the front... Yowza. Uh, And Brian Linton seconded that sentiment. I think we all did. And finally, the last episode for the first part of Season 2, Episode 12, Where There's a Will, with Rick Heineken, got a comment from Rob Kelly, who said, Like I mentioned on The Spy Who Came In for a Cold One, this is another one of those little short story-type shows, really a morality tale that just happens to be set in the bar. I like how dark they allow the barflies to get, and that ending is classic. This is one of my all-time favorite episodes of the series. I, you know, that's that's really cool. Uh, Rob liked the episode more than I did, but I certainly didn't dislike it. There aren't any episodes of the show that I dislike. Um, but I also definitely see his point about the little microcosm short story type of episodes that, you know, they tended to favor in the early seasons. And I, I have said this before, I think it's because they, the cast wasn't as big and the cast wasn't as full of so many people who could lead their own subplots. But uh, yeah, and that is going to be it for the feedback segment. Uh, thank you to everyone who left a comment as well as everyone who supports the show more quietly, I guess, uh, with likes and shares and favorites and such. Uh, you guys, are, it's always appreciated. Um, the last thing I want to say before I end this episode is, back in August, I attended Fan Expo Boston, which is the current title for Boston Comic Con. As a convention, it was pretty good, but as a social and emotional experience, 
it was so fun because I got to hang out and see so many of my friends from within this podcasting community. People who really I consider my best friends now, including Rob and Shag, who I roomed with, but also just plenty of others. I think there were, at one point, there was like 14 or 15 from within our little, well, our big extended circle that we connect with throughout the weekend. Uh, if you want to hear more about the details of that experience, check out Fire and Water Podcast episode 237. That's where a whole lot of us got together and sort of recapped some of the highlights from our experience. But the thing I wanted to single out here as it relates to Cheers is I got to go to the actual bar. Now, I have driven past it before. I have seen the sign outside, the kind of touristy landmark. But I really wanted to take this opportunity that weekend to go to the bar, to go inside. If possible, get a drink, have a conversation there, maybe do an episode of Cheerscast there. This was sort of a personal pilgrimage of mine. I didn't expect anyone else to be that interested in it. But a bunch of people came with me. Rob, Dr. Ange, Keith G. Baker, Tim Price, Derek William Crabb, and Darren and Ruth Sutherland. They all wanted to go, so we walked down to the subway station, we took that to Boston Common, walked across the park to the Cheers Bar. And the way it's set up is downstairs, down that famous flight of stairs that you can see, is the actual bar that used to be called the Bull and Finch. It doesn't look like Cheers. It doesn't look anything like Cheers. Uh, the setup is all different because it doesn't look like a TV set. But up above on the ground floor, what would have been Melville's on the show, is another bar that is redressed to look like the TV bar. The layout, the bar, the banister, the stools, the pictures on the wall, it all looks like that bar on the show. The only difference is the lighting is way off because it there are above-ground windows, so you get sort of that natural lighting effect. And also the room is a little too small for the TV show set, which was honestly way too big for an actual bar. Uh, this upstairs bar also has an attached gift shop and a store for merchandise. I didn't get anything because that's not how I need to show my fandom. But it was cool to walk around up there and feel like I was sort of on that set and sit on those stools even. But even better as well as way weirder, was going down those stairs into the real place. That was... Transcendent is too strong, you know. It wasn't a religious experience, but it was a lot more profound than I expected. Uh, of course, it's enough of a tourist spot that it would have taken at least two hours for us to get a table for eight people. So, after I absorbed the atmosphere and the gang generously waited for me, uh, I just wanted to get out of there. So Keith G. Baker led us all back through the common to the Beantown Pub, which I dubbed the Gary's Old Town Tavern of the trip. Uh, and the eight of us just sat down and we had lunch together. I used my phone to record some of our conversation, and I had everyone just kind of go around and say what the highlight of the show was for them. Not cheers, but for the, the convention, um, which was only halfway done at that point, too, so... And I thought of including that audio on this episode, but I decided not to. The quality isn't great. There's a lot of ambient noise from the bar. I mean, at one point, we kind of stopped our conversation because the server came over and started taking our orders. So you can hear me order the Fenway Franks, and Darren Sutherland ordered the mac and cheese with bacon. You know, riveting podcast material right there. But also the stuff I recorded there, it wasn't really cheer specific, and it wasn't. It most of it was all covered again on the fire and water episode that I mentioned when we recapped the whole experience. So I'm not posting that audio, but I did listen to it again before this, and it it just reminded me of what a wonderful time we had and what a great collection of friends I have made through this experience, this podcasting journey. 
And that, I mean, as much as anything, does remind me of what I love about Cheers, is at its heart, you're just watching friends go to a place where they can be comfortable with themselves and with each other and share their lives together. It's a really cool thing. So, yeah, that is going to be all for this mailbag episode of Cheerscast. Next Thursday is Thanksgiving, so I will not be dropping a new episode of this show. However, I will be releasing a new Find Your Joy episode of FW Presents, wherein Bob Fisher and I talked about one of my favorite Superman stories. So if you want to hear that, check out FW Presents on Thanksgiving. Maybe you can listen to it in the car as you're driving to go see your family or whatever. Uh, But then new episodes will start again in December, beginning with the episode Battle of the Exes, which features the first appearance of possibly the greatest guest character in the entire series, Carla's ex-husband, Nick Tortelli. You do not want to miss that, I promise you. So, thank you listeners for tuning in. Please support the show by liking and sharing on Facebook and Twitter or leave a comment on the website post, fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also support the show on Patreon by generously donating to the Fire and Water Network's Patreon page. Special shout out to all of our patrons, especially Mike Gillis from Radio vs. the Martians, who sponsors Cheerscast. For more information on how you can support the network in general or this podcast in particular, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Thanks to everyone for listening, and until next time, we're closed. We still have a good time, don't we? Oh, yeah. Well, it's all thanks to our fearless leader who uh, won the chugging contest, yelled crude remarks at the strippers, and punched out a couple of bounces. <laughs> <laughs> Where is our leader, anyway? Yes, she is right now. <laughs> Thank you, Mrs. You left these in the car. Oh. Now, why did the stripper throw them at you now? Hey, women happen to be attracted to me, Alan. Like moths to a flame, you know? Like, like uh, honeybees to a flower. Like uh, flies to a road apple. <laughs> <laughs> uh, flies. Well, how do you know so much about that combat zone? Oh, my ex always used to take me there. He loved the theater. (laughs) We were actually there for the premiere of College Girls Totally Nude. I mean, the whole week. Nothing against Diane, but uh, it feels so good to get out with the guys again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sammy, you made a big mistake telling Diane I love you. I mean, you say that to a girl and make a big deal out of it. Say it to a guy, it doesn't mean anything at all. Hey, go ahead, say it to me, for example. Norm, I love you. I was wrong. <laughs>